All right, Lee, what do you say we get cracking? Sounds good to me. Let's do this. Okay, so I'm going to turn the ringer off on my phone. Yeah, good idea. I did it on. Well, let me make sure if I did it online. Yep. I'm in airplane mode. We're good to go. So uh, I have to say one of the things, and I told you this kind of off the record, I'm pretty impressed that you were, you went into, uh, to become a ranger, right? Yes. That's yeah. pretty amazing. To, to Tell us a little bit about that. Cause I'm sure folks would want to hear how did that, is that something you always wanted to do? Well, no, when I was in high school, I, the, the national guard had an opportunity where if you join the National Guard, they'd pay your college costs. So I okay. started out in the National Guard. Okay. And when I was at basic training at uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, in the summer of 1979, right after graduation, um, I was just attracted to some of the drill sergeants that were uh, former special operations themselves, Green Berets, Rangers, some of the training tacticians that we had on the, on the um, training sites, same thing, special ops. And I got interested in it and I decided I want to go down that path. And it became a fire in me, but the Lord had other plans, which that's another story. Well, it's okay. Um, so actually I kind of want to get a little bit uh, for folks that don't know Lee yeah. Brainerd. Um, amazing. Uh, I, I can't, like I said, I came across you on YouTube. You're good friends with Pete Garcia. He's a friend of the ministry too, but I want people to know, uh, your, your testimony. I mean, we don't have to have a, a super long one because I want to get into the, the subject we're going to cover. But sure. before, before we jump into that, let me do a couple of housekeeping because I want to show uh, items. I want to show people um, a couple of things, especially your website. So let me get over there real quick. Uh, so if I always like to tell people, if you like the content that you're seeing um, and you feel led to donate, there's um, if you go on the Serpents and Doves website, there you can donate via the button right up at the top right hand side, or you could use the shop tab. There's some things there. Um, again, I come from a design background. And so uh, that was my passion to marry uh, ministry and design. And this is how the Lord did it. And so if that's something you guys feel led to do, well, great. That would be amazing. But I want to go to uh, your website, Lee, and this is it right here, soothkeep.info. So, um, folks, I would highly encourage you guys to visit Lee's website. He also has a donate tab if you feel led by all means. Um, I always like to preface, though, when I talk about donations, because, uh, you know, got to be careful with our finances. Your tithes go to your local church, first and foremost. Uh, anything above that, if you feel the Lord led to, then by all means, please do. Uh, I know I speak for Lee probably we could, we, you know, we could use it because it helps to, to help us keep doing what we're doing and we love doing what we do. But Lee's website is full, chock full of amazing things. He's got his, his story there, his testimony. This is your uh, Upward Trek. That's a blog, right? Well, it's also an email that I send out. Okay. So that's your newsletter. How do people sign up? If So if I'm scrolling through your website here, is there somewhere where people can sign up for a newsletter? Do you send a newsletter out? Yes. Any of those categories that you just went through where okay. I might 12 ministry categories. Uh, we're up. Uh, well, okay. A no, little lower. Uh, right there. The ministry. Yes. Any one of those categories, you can go in there and find one of the, uh, there on the right hand side with any of those, uh, articles that you open, you'll find uh, opportunity there in the sidebar to subscribe to my newsletter. Okay. Well, let me do that real quick for folks. So I'm going to go there real quick. So any one of these, if I click on one of these, let me do that. So right here on the right-hand side, folks, you could see how you could subscribe to Lee's newsletter. Um, and it's pretty easy name, email. That's, that's a slam dunk right there. So again, up here are Lee's books. Um, and, what the ministry, these are all things that you do here within your ministry, right? I mean, it's a lot. It is yep. a whole lot. So um, again, there is so much. I'm always giving the website to my guests because there's so much amazing, great, solid material out there for everybody to be, uh, to look at, to read, to watch, 
There's no reason for us to be ignorant, especially the most important, obviously, is get into the word of God. So Amen. we did that. We got the housekeeping out of the way. Now we can jump in. So you uh, you felt led to go to the ranger to, to become a ranger. But I, we want to hear how God got a hold of your heart. So where were you before B.C., before Christ? And how did you come to know the Lord? OK, well. Ever since I was in grade school, I can remember having thoughts about God. I guess I was semi-religious, maybe. I remember one time when we were, I was on the playground talking to one of my buddies in sixth grade, and I asked him, do you ever think about God, that he's always has been and always will be? And he's, no, no, I never do. Well, do you ever think about the universe? You can travel in a straight line, and it's infinite. You'll never come to the end. He wasn't impressed. And I was always shocked that none of my friends had an interest in the things of God. I was also shocked later on when I became a born-again Christian to find out that I had been going to high school and junior high school with born-again Christians, and none of them ever preached the gospel to me. Wow. But um, the Lord got a hold of my heart when I was a senior in high school. Uh, Well, actually, I think it started when I was a junior, but it it came to a head when I was a senior uh, that a, a buddy... Uh, invited me to come out and spend Christmas in Montana with him, and I did. This is my senior year in high school. My parents gave me permission to take the Greyhound from North Dakota to Montana, and my buddy, believe it or not, we went to a Catholic charismatic meeting in the basement of the cathedral in Helena, Montana, and that's where I was born again. Wow. <laughs> Catholic charismatic meeting. Yeah, they, that, that that's pretty. That that's that's unusual. I'll say that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's the tail end of the Jesus movement. Yeah, there was a lot more real evangelicalism in the charismatic Catholic movement then than I would say there is today. Okay. You know, okay. the Catholic Church had to take a reins on that and 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 rein it back in. Yeah, they sure did. They well, you know, um, I'm not going to start talking about that because right, we could get into whole Catholicism. Yep. I did, I did do some talks with Mike Gendron. So if anybody wants to go see those, you can just go back visit those with Mike Gendron. At Lee, we might talk about that sometime later on in yeah. another podcast. That'd be great. There's a lot of good subjects. No doubt. It, it's interesting that that's somewhere where you found Christ, right? A very unusual yeah. place. And not only that, I'll be honest with you, um, the fact that you actually. Uh, stayed within the evangelical church and didn't yeah. go into the Catholic church. That's, that's also great too. Thank God for that. So sorry yeah, to interrupt. Well, really what, what happened there is I started reading my Bible, but I didn't really know it very well. No, I had nobody to disciple me. Yeah. I didn't know there was such thing as born again churches and churches that were not born again and stuff that was in between. I went into the army. And before I went in full-time in the Army, I remember thinking one time when I was uh, choosing my life plan, the thought went through my head, does God care whether I go in the Army or not? Hmm. And I thought, nah, he probably doesn't. Well, in and of itself, the question, I don't think he does care. I mean, he doesn't care what job we do as long as it's a job that's, that's upright before him. Right. And... But that's not the only question we have to ask. There's also the question is, what plan does God have for my life? That's right. And I got into the Army and uh, went through basic training, did really well, was an honor graduate, went to airborne school, did very well, uh, ended up at Fort Lewis, Washington in the uh, spring of 1981. And I went to Ranger Indoctrination Program. They got a new program now, but it's uh, three weeks long. It's designed to make as many people as possible quit. Wow. Very little sleep at night. This run you like a dog's all day long with all kinds of hard training. We started with 180 some people in the class. We only had 60 some that graduated after three weeks. And then the first day in the range of battalion, we lost another dozen. And within a month, we were down to about a dozen of us that actually made it and stayed in the range of battalion. During that time, uh, when we were at RIP, my roommate found out that I was a Christian. And we, we started hanging together. The Lord made sure that we got the same room, the same platoon, the same company in the range of battalion. He found out that I was there without a Bible, and he drove me to a bookstore and bought me 
the King James Study Bible. That is amazing. That was the beginning for me. Um, I started reading the Bible on a regular basis, and within a little a while, a few weeks, I was completely hooked, and I have never looked back. So um, how old were you at around that time when you 19. got to the Bible? 19. Wow, 19 years old. So to have a hunger for the Lord and for scripture like that, that's that's yeah. amazing. And you know what? Fast forward however many years, because I'm not going to do the math. Yeah. <laughs> um, here you are. I mean, there's a big, I just asked you off the record if you had read all those books, but you have an extensive library, a reference library, and you you've always had a hunger to know the word, study the word that's right. prop- properly, right? So um, just real quick, and I know this question has nothing, well, it does have something to do with what we're going to talk about, but tell us really quick, what is the importance of proper hermeneutics? Well, if we don't have a proper hermeneutic, we actually are not going to gather from the Bible what the Lord wants us to gather. We will end up learning man's opinions on the word rather than letting the Bible be its own interpreter. Do you, do you see that happening a lot now or not? Oh, all the time. Even in the very best circles, you can go in the very best evangelical circles where people are rock solid dispensationalists. Yeah. We all have our flaws. We all have our warts. We all have areas yeah. where we believe doctrines that they're going to be wood and stubble yeah. at the judgment seat of Christ. That's for sure. So, with that said, then, how about we dive in? So okay. um, I, I, I'm really thankful for your time. So I don't want to take advantage of it. But you and I both know that the subject we're going to cover today is one that is going to rock the boat for a little bit. And that's I'm OK with that. That's totally fine by me. I know, Lee, you're OK with that. Yep. But yep. Um, it is the subject, that's my spiritual gift, by the way. Rocking the boat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that's great. You know what? I like that. I'm uh, I have a tendency to like to throw rocks into the pond and see how the ripples, you know, to create yeah. the ripples. But so Lee, you wrote this book and I'm going to link to it, okay, in the description below so that if anybody wants to get it and I do recommend people buy this book. It's very extensive. It's called uh, Apostasia. This is uh talking about chapter 2 of Thessalonians. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. And there, there's a debate running within even the pre that, well, it is the pre-trib camp, right? Yeah. Of what exactly second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three means when it comes to one single word in there, why don't you tell us what that word is? Well, it's the Greek word apostasia in the King James Bible. It says that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed. And the phrase or the word translated falling away, um, there are folks today that believe that that should be translated as departure and not falling away, that it's not a reference to apostasy, not apostasy in the church, not apostasy in the 70th week, but it's a reference to the departure of the church in the rapture. That's right. So um, there are references, and I want to make this crystal clear. There are references to the timing of the rapture within Scripture, right? Yes. So, and and we told. I think everybody within the pre-trib camp obviously agrees on the fact that there are those verses that talk about the timing of the rapture. Now, when it comes to, so the rapture is mentioned. Period. It is hundred percent. I believe, and I am sure I speak for Lee that the Bible points to a pre trib rapture. We're not going to get to the ins and outs of that. That's definitely a podcast that I would like to cover in the future because there is, and that's a podcast for hours because we can really go through extensive uh, parts of scripture that do point to a pre-trib rapture. So we're not even cover that, but understand that we are coming from the point we are pre-trib. Okay. So the rapture will happen before the tribulation happens. So want to make sure I say that crystal clear. Now, when it comes to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, um, there are a lot of people that have written, uh, especially recently, on the fact that they believe that the word apostasia is, like you said, departure. But before, I want to ask a question, and then I guess maybe that's where we'll kind of start out. Where this whole thing started, this uh, where the camp started to divide was, um, Jerome wrote the Latin Vulgate, right. and in the Latin Vulgate, he translated that word specifically 
to one word, right? So I don't want to steal your thunder because that's why you're here. I want you to talk about this. I'm just here asking the questions. Why don't you walk us through what Jerome wrote in the Latin Vulgate, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Well, he used the word discessio. Um, the folks that hold the rapture view of apostasia claim that discessio means departure. Well, this is only half of the story. If you look up in the, the fuller Latin lexicons, you will discover that the word usually was used for political rebellion or religious apostasy. It was occasionally used for a physical or spatial departure. Okay, hold on, pause, because I know people yeah. are thinking right now. So this is what I'm going to do. And I, if you've watched any of my podcasts, you know, I say, I think I say this every podcast. I interrupt a lot. And, and the yeah. reason why I do that is because I know because people have written in that uh, they, they're thinking these questions. And so I'm here to ask the questions. Which I'm kind of thinking people are wondering, right? So yeah. as you're talking, there are instances where that word discessio or how, how do you say it? Discessio. Okay. Discessio, which is departure, is yeah. sometimes used for a spatial departure, which is I know one of the arguments that they use, right? It is a right. physical spatial departure. And so how do we, if we're going to be using, we want to make sure that we use proper interpretation. How do we apply and know which specific word, for example, in, in 2, 3, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, how do we differentiate if it's being applied as a rebellion or as a um spatial departure, right? So yes. how do we make sure we we know when we're reading this or we're studying this to apply it correctly? Well, the first thing we have to do is we either have to do a bunch of research ourselves, or we have to find somebody that has. Because it's very easy for somebody to flip to a lexicon, uh, look up an entry, find the meaning that suits them and run with it, and sometimes they actually don't understand what that entry says, right. which is one of the points I would like to cover today. Yeah. But the, the only definitive determination for what a word means is its actual usage in Koine Greek. Um, so what we want to find out is how did Koine Greek from, let's say, 250 BC to 250 AD, how was the word apostasia used? If it was used even a few times for physical or spatial departure, then we have to allow that that's a possibility and weigh it with the context. Right. If it was never used that way outside of the New Testament, uh, then we can't consider it for a possibility because the New Testament doesn't introduce brand new meanings that were never heard of. Every word in the New Testament is used in a sense that was common in Koine Greek, there's one difference. The New Testament will take these common words in common senses and elevate them in a way that they're impossible to, to have that same nuance in secular Greek. For instance, um, in Josephus uh, recently, I read when um, the city of Jerusalem was surrounded in 70 AD by Titus, and Titus offered the city of Jerusalem um, terms of surrender. He said, if you will repent and call upon the name, no, he said, repent, believe, and call upon the name of Caesar, you will be saved. Hmm. So here you've got repentance, call upon the name of, of Caesar, right. and, hmm. and salvation used in the same way they're used in secular Greek, but secular Greek uses these terms um, in a secular context that's man-centric, these same terms in the Bible used in the same sense are used in a God-centric way. Okay. So it's an elevated sense. Okay. So um, let me go back to both of us here. Yep. Um, so, okay. So continuing, because again, I'm going to jump in here. If, if, you know, a question obviously arises, I'm going to jump in, I'm going to ask. So we want to make sure that we use, okay, here's another question. Because as you were saying, and this is important, I think, as you were saying, it's important for us, either we're going to do all the work, right? All the research and, and, and try to find it, or we're going to go to someone who's already done the research. Yes. But here's what's really important. It's important who does the research, if I'm right. Uh, absolutely. Because here's the problem. 
And, and this is the real problem that we're facing right now with this whole question, whether apostasy means the rapture or the departure, mm-hmm. or whether it means apostasy. Because your average believer is looking at this like we've got two men looking at the same pile of evidence, and they come to different conclusions. Right. This is a mistake. Um, anyone who thinks that's what the issue is has not read both sides. They've obviously only read one side because when you look at the case for the rapture interpretation of apostasia, they're using selective evidence. Right. They're very selective on the evidence that they'll use from the testimony in Greek. They're, they're very selective on the entries that they will use in the lexicons. They're very selective on the evidence they present from the English and the Latin translations. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of them really don't understand the information that they're presenting. But if you will actually look at all the testimony of the English translations, you'll look broadly at the testimony of the Latin translations. You'll look broadly at the other translations like the French or the German. You will look at the testimony of of the Koine Greek and the classical Greek. What you're going to find out is you'll have a tiny pile of information that defends the uh, rapture interpretation and and a massive pile of evidence that says no. That little pile of evidence is selective evidence. Right. And it's not right. Yeah. You know, one thing I have to say that you you say right out of the starting gate, um, and whenever anybody gets your book, folks, you're going to read this. Um, let me see where it is exactly you say that it's important for us. You say here, I took up an extensive investigation into what the Bible taught on tribulation and falling away in general, in contrast to what it taught on the great tribulation and the falling away at the end of the age. And the reason why I'm reading this specifically is because I like how you say, hey, we need to take a look at everything, all the entire, all the lines of evidences. We can't be selective like you just said. Okay, well, we're just going to look right here because this is what benefits my argument. This is what benefits my view. And so I'm going to spend my time just right here. You really need to look at the entire gamut of everything. And I really think it's important that and I'm sure you would agree that when we're looking for an author that's that did the legwork, such as yourself, we want to make sure that it's not um, what's the word I'm looking for. It's 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 not slanted towards one view. You know, you no. take everything in consideration. Yes. In fact, when I went into this investigation, when I first heard the subject a few years back. And I bought a book that's well-known by a well-known and dearly beloved brother. He's rightly loved. He's, he's, a, he's really one of the, the rock stars, in my mind, of the dispensational world, mm-hmm. deservedly so. But I think on this issue, he's wrong. But when I read his book, I thought, you know what? I hope he's right. Yeah. I, I want him to be right. I had a gut feeling simply because I've been reading extra biblical Koine Greek for four decades that it probably wasn't right. But I wasn't going to decide until I went into the whole pile of evidence. And really what I did, I okay. examined every instance of apostasia from its first instance in 250 BC in Archimedes, in his book, The Sand Reckoner, all the way up to 500 AD. There's 283 instances. I categorized all of them. I found in, I put the Greek in the appendices in the book. And I found English translations for, I'm going to guess, somewhere around 60% of them. The other 40%, I had to translate myself. So all the information is there. Nobody has to take my word for it. Nobody has to take somebody else's word for it. Anybody with a little bit of spiritual intelligence can sit down for a couple hours, flip through the appendices, read the English translations, and see for themselves. Okay. So it's, and I know it to be very, very, um, uh, it's very specific. You, you've done, you've done the legwork, you've done the research. Um, when you guys folks, when you pick up this book, you're gonna, and look, listen, I have to, I have to say something here, please understand. I'm not trying to sell product here. What I'm trying to do is, so Lee took the time to write this book and I wouldn't suggest a book that I don't think is really, really, really well written. Okay. So the reason why I suggest these books is because I know they will benefit the body of Christ. 
We are in a day and age, unfortunately, where you have to be extremely cautious, not only with fake news, because I'm sure everybody's heard that term, um, but unfortunately, you really, really need to be careful with um, doctrines that might be coming out, and you have to test every single one of them against the Word of God. And so it's really, really important for us to make sure that we do that, because um, if, if that's not if we're not willing to to do the the research, we can get caught up in um, in things that don't really matter, and we can be led astray, and then we can become sensationalist, even on extremes. So we we want to avoid those things. We want to just let the word of God, you know, uh, uh, let the word of God uh, um, speak for itself. There's a book that I have. I don't know if I, you probably have. It. It's called uh, the the treasure of scripture knowledge or the treasury of scripture knowledge. Yes. It's, okay. And it's really it's the Bible interpreting the Bible. Absolutely. And, and everybody should have a copy. Yes, everybody should have a copy of that because if you want to know what the best source, commentary, whatever it is. Go to the Bible and let the Bible interpret the Bible. That's Amen. it. Amen. So, Amen. okay, so we've established the fact that there are different meanings for the word apostasia. So, what yeah. we're going to kind of zero in on really is is it spatial? Is it departure in a physical sense, what it's talking about? Or is it apostasia as we would traditionally know it? which is a falling away from the faith, right? Or a rebellion to God. So I want to make sure that we get to those two distinctions because it's really, really important. So you mentioned lots of sources that have the word apostasia. Yeah. How long, okay. How long did you take to write this book? So research and all, what, what are we looking at time period? About a year and a half. Okay. Massive hours. That's a lot of time and everything is in here. So moving forward, I kind of want to bring this to light too, is the fact that um, there are those that say they, they talk about the, um, the, so noun, right? Being used as a noun. And yeah. the fact here, I have my notes right here. So I don't want to mess this up. So they say that the word form, the verb form is used 15 times, the verb yep. form, but then we yep. have the noun form. Walk us through the difference between the verb form and the noun form, because I really think it's important. Some people, some folks might read and go, I've seen that word, uh, you know, like 15 times or 20 times in scripture. It yep. should all mean the same thing. So I think we should really make a distinction between the verb form and the noun form. Yes. Well, very good question. And this has actually got twofold answer. The first part of the question is, it's not uncommon in the English language and in all Indo-European languages for verbs and nouns to have different semantic footprints. They don't have the exact same meanings. That's assuming that um, apostasia actually is the noun form of the verb aphistemi. Aphistemi means to uh, depart or to move away. But the fact of the matter is that argument is simply not true. There's a whole class of, of verbs and nouns and adjectives and adverbs uh, in Greek, that's called the apostasis family. So they have the noun apostasis, the noun apostasia, and four or five nouns that are in the same family that are extremely rare. Some of them, for instance, are only found in Xenophon. You have of the verb apostateo, which means to apostatize. You have the verb apostasiazo, which means to cause to apostatize. You have the uh, adjective apostatikos, which means um, an apostate, you have the adverb apostatikos, which means um, to do something in an apostate manner. So you've got this whole class of words. They're, they basically center on the meaning of rebellion or apostasy. So the noun apostasia, the verb form of that is not the verb aphistemi. It's the verb apostateo. Okay. And if people don't understand that, they're going to get confused. Now, all these words are cognate with aphistemi, but that's all they are. They're just cognates. They're not the apostasy is not the noun form of aphistemi. Okay, so 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 break that down for us, really. I mean, if you can if yeah. you can clarify that even more. Okay, so um, 
dumb, dumb right here in the sense yeah. of like totally lay, don't understand. And, and I know you didn't go to seminary, but God has really gifted you with a beautiful mind. And that is a gift. And so for us that are trying to understand, you said a lot of big words there. If yep. we can kind of break that down, really, and you're talking down to, you're talking to me right now. So, okay. So let's, let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's say that you've got two twins over here. I'll put my hand up. Can you see my hand? Yeah, let, me, let me do this here. Let's do that. There you go. Okay. Okay. Well, let's see here. Oh, there, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Right here. Right. Whoops. It's okay. We, yep. <laughs> there you okay, are. Right here. We've got two twins. Okay. One is the, the noun apostasia and one is the verb apostateo. Now, a fist in me over here. Well, I can't. No, we got it. We in. see. Yeah, we see your arm up. We see your arm okay. up. Go for it. So now we got this sophistomy, and that's a relative. They're, they're not. They're not part of the family. Okay. But they're related. It's like you could say it's an uncle or a great uncle. Okay. So they're 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 related, in the same broad family, but they're not closely related, and that's what we're dealing with. So, but so, when it when it comes to meaning wise, right? So they're yeah. related, but they're not the same. When it comes to the meaning, how do they, how are they different in their, in their application or their meaning? Gotcha. The verb ephistemi is regularly used, not just in the New Testament, but in Koine literature in general, and in classical Greek prior to that, and in Byzantine Greek after the Koine era, the whole stretch, the verb ephistemi is used for physical or spatial departure, like going from the store home or going from home to the battlefield. It's just used for departure. Okay. That's like, Hey, I'm going to take my chariot and I'm going to go to our other castle uh, somewhere else. That's exactly right. Okay, cool. But when you come to the apostasis family, so the noun apostasis, the noun apostasia, which is in the new Testament, the verb apostateo and all that whole family of words, none of them are ever used, not in classical Greek, not in Koine Greek for physical or spatial departure. Okay. So with that said, now that we've established verb versus noun, because there are scriptures that have uh, the verb versus noun. So we have uh, three, three, only three having anything to do with a apostasy, meaning a departure from, from the faith, right? Within scripture, as far as I know, maybe. Luke uh, 8.13, 1 Timothy 4.1, and Hebrews 3.12. Now, I'm going to just kind of set that aside right now because we've covered verb and noun, the difference. Here is something that I I gathered. Uh, There's an author that you well know, very good, and I think it's the author of the book you just mentioned, which will remain nameless for now. Um, but one of the arguments that he uses is the fact that apostasia, the noun, is either departure or departing in seven of the English translations of the Bible, right? Yes. You know, you know yep. what I'm talking about. So absolutely. So let's address that because I know there are people thinking right now, well, if it's found in seven of the early trans or translations of scripture, right? Rendered yeah. noun departure. Yeah. And it was not until 1611 with the King James version, right? That they yeah. changed it to apostasy. Right. How do we reconcile those two? So there you go. Okay. Well, first of all, their list of seven Bible versions, it's really only a list of five versions. The list itself is misleading. Okay. Because uh, Biza is not an independent translation. It's just the D- Geneva Bible with Biza's notes from his Latin and Greek New Testament. Okay. And the Breaches Bible, that's also just a Geneva Bible with a couple of idiosyncratic um, mistakes in the text, including having breaches okay. in Genesis. So it's just the Geneva Bible. Okay. Now, but when we go beyond that, what people... The, the argument says that the word departure is in these versions and the translators intended for people to understand physical departure. That's, that's the argument. Right. But if you go look at these English versions and you look at the introductory sections that introduce the chapters, 
that introduced the books. If you look at the marginal notes for Second um, Thessalonians 2.3, you look at the footnotes for Second Thessalonians 2.3, you are going to discover that all of these versions were looking at departure as a departing from the faith. It's a uh, spiritual departure. Right. They, it's very, very clear. Some of them use falling away um, in, the, in the chapter description. They refer people to 1 Timothy 4.1 for the, the, the falling away in the last days. Right. So the, the authors and the translators of these versions never intended physical departure. The, yeah. the thought never crossed their mind. So um, it's, I can see how it could be really easy because I'll be honest with you, even if someone were to tell me, well, it means departure. Okay. But in, in all due honesty, we use the, de- we use the word departure as a way to illustrate somebody who has left the faith. They have departed. Absolutely. Right. So why is it so difficult for us? Let's say it does use departure. Yep. Why, why is it so hard? Um, why have we come to a point where we're now really arguing? And I, I use that term lightly because we're not really arguing, but there's a debate, okay, of departure now, meaning it has to be spatial. Why is it that we can't just read the word of God for what the word of God is? And now we're looking at, and, and I haven't even gotten to the definitive article part because, yeah. right? Because yeah. that, that's really kind of what they latch on to. So maybe before you answer that question, right? Departure is just departure. Hey, that guy left the faith. He he's a backslider. You know what I mean? We're not literally yep. saying he's physically backsliding down a slope, right? I mean, so uh, let's cover real quick. Why don't you cover the aspect of the definitive article um, yep. in in that? So go ahead. Okay. Well, the argument is often made that apostasia has the definite article, and and this is true, it does have the definite article, but the argument is made that it can't refer to apostasy because there is no definitive apostasy in the last days. Yeah, there's going to be an apostasy, but we've had apostasies all throughout the church age. There's not, no one's going to be able to say, hey, we just went from low-grade apostasy to high-grade apostasy. Right. So they're, they're basically saying, uh, on the basis of the of the article that it can't be uh, apostasy, but I think this is a mistake um, because there I do believe the Bible very clearly does teach that in the last days there will be an apostasy that's going to supersede all the apostasies of that have been throughout the history of the church and the history of Israel. Sure. Yeah. So. Um... Okay, now that you said that, I'm going to ask a question, and I'm full of questions because I'm like a little kid. Oh, what about this? Yep. What about that? Why, why, why? Everything why, right? Um, but here's the thing. So we know that, and, and I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are living in the last of the last days. I'm not putting yes. words in Lee's mouth. That's I believe we are in the last of the last days. Uh, time's running out. I really believe, uh, I always say this, uh, David Reagan, Dr. David Reagan wrote a book years ago called Living on Borrowed Time. And I yeah. think it was a very, very apropos title. And, and I do believe that as the church and as a whole, we are living on borrowed time. God is gracious. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He would love everybody to come to salvation. Unfortunately, we all know that not most people are going to reject Jesus Christ. They're going to reject the message of salvation. But why is it difficult? So let me say this. We're in the day and age we live in. Aren't we seeing this start to take place, this big falling away from the faith? Well, absolutely. And let me just put it this way. I think that what we're seeing right now is really the foundation for the apostasy that's going to happen in the 70th week. Uh, The early church fathers, when they dealt with this subject, they associated the apostasy with the Antichrist. I think that's correct. Okay. Okay. but you're not going to have an apostasy in the 70th week unless you've had decades of societal preparation sure. for an apostasy after the rapture of the church. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I think we're there. I mean, if we really look at the landscape of the church, not, yeah. not the secular, not the world, but specifically the church. And I'm not even talking about Catholics and Episcopalians. And, and well, even though we can bunch Episcopalians and Lutherans and Presbyterians within that, right? Yep, yep. Um, but there really has been this 
And there is, it's happening right before our very eyes. And it's accelerated, I think, within the last few years as well. Absolutely. Is this departure from solid biblical teaching. It's kind of like, um, if it feels good to you and it sounds good to you, well, then let's do it, right? Because we know the church is becoming apostate by the day. What would you say to that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have progressive dispensationalism, progressive evangelicalism. We have new evangelicalism, which has been around for about 70 years now. What, what, is, progress, what is progressive evangelicalism, progressive dispensationalism? Just quickly. Okay, well, progressive dispensationalism is trying to uh, reconcile what I would call worldly-focused Christianity with dispensationalism, because historically dispensationalism is taught that we're not here to save the world. We're here to call men out of the world. We can't save the world. We can't clean the world up because we can't clean the devil up. We can't save yeah, the devil. Right. So progressive dispensationalism basically looks at evangelicalism like the church has two calls. We've got an evangelical call to see people saved from hell and go to heaven. And we've got um, well, for lack of a better term, a social gospel call yeah. where we're supposed to clean the world up and help make it a better place to live. Yeah, that seems, guys, yeah that, that's no, I was just going to say that seems very much like we need to uh, the this whole new apostolic reformation movement, yeah, right? Yep. Where we need to do what is it? Seven things in order for uh, uh, for the church to be established, the kingdom of God to be established here on the earth. And that couldn't be farther from the truth because uh, I love what David Hawking says. He said, the church that's being assembled is bigger in heaven than it is here on earth. And, and that's so true. I mean, think about it. There's more people, believers that have gone on. Yeah. So if you look at it in context of believers, right? Because the body of Christ, it's bigger in heaven than it yeah. is here on earth. So that's not going to happen at all. Um, so, okay. So going back to, to these dispensationalists, um, yeah. Uh, so we also have this whole mix of the social gospel. We have yep. social justice and I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm not giving the weasel credit, but Satan has managed his way into the church, uh, through the cracks. And that's a word picture through the cracks we've allowed within yep. the church to filter and to infuse into the church. And unfortunately it's taken pretty deep roots. What would you say? Well, Absolutely. When, when the liberalism first attacked the evangelicals, the late 1800s, or early 1900s, they accused the church of having a false gospel, the evangelicals. Yeah. And they tried to tell them, the gospel is not saving souls. The gospel is making the world a better place to live. Mm -hmm. Well, the evangelicals rightly rejected it. Well, when they came back 40, 50 years later with the new version of the message, an updated version, Yeah. now... Oh, no, we got a twofold gospel. Go ahead and save all the souls you want, but we still have an obligation to clean this world up and make it a better place. Hmm. Well, so now this time around, evangelicals as a general rule bought it. Some were slow, but they all slowly basically bought into it. It's very difficult to find evangelicals today that aren't influenced by it, sure. even if they say they don't believe it. Yeah. So I'm curious because as I'm hearing you talk, um, it almost seems like, so there's three different views on the millennium. And I know I'm kind of getting yep. off base here. You have the amillennialists, which uh, the largest uh, the, the largest folks that believe that are Catholics, amillennial meaning yep. no millennium. Yep. Um, and then you have premillennials, right? Yep. Which is the pre-trib, premillennial camp. Yep. And then you have the, there's one more view, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh. Post-millennialism. Post yep. And as far as my understanding of post-millennial is very similar to this new apostolic reformation. It's almost like it's a rebranded version of post-millennialism, only in the sense that um, the world is getting better and better and better, right? Yep. And uh, we know that it took a dive, a nosedive. Post-millennialist uh, took a nosedive in World War I. It kind of yep. tried to resurface after, right? Because, hey, war's over, everybody's hunky-dory, and then all of a sudden we got World War II, and it really just bombed out after that. But That's right. Right. It kind of seems like a rebranded version that we, we as believers somehow have to make this a good place. And so my question to you with where I'm going with this is, to me, that seems like a either they're allegorizing Bible prophecy because they don't get it. 
they're completely ignorant or they're willfully ignorant of scripture and they want to reject that part because their hands are so deeply entrenched in this world. Yep. Where where do you see that? How do, how do you see that fitting well, in? Well, I think definitely the leadership in the New Apostolic Reformation and similar movements are definitely absolutely heart committed to error that I would regard as heresy. Yeah. The yeah. problem comes in with a lot of the people that are following the movement, um, certainly the bottom half, the, the lower folks in the totem poles. There's a lot of ignorant sheep that have been led astray by this. They get excited because they want to see God work, and they want to see God work in powerful ways, yeah. and they want to see this mess down here cleaned up. And so they got good motives. They just need some better Bible teaching. Yeah. Well, didn't the, didn't Jesus tell people— uh, we called it a perverse generation who seek after signs. Yes, that's right? right. So, so as it, and trust me, I'll be the first one to say, when I see God work, it is exciting. Absolutely. When, you, when you see the work of God, uh, um, you see it. And I'll say this much. It's sad to say that in our country, because I believe apathy has set in, we've had a lot of indifference within the church and we don't see the Lord as, almighty, all-powerful, omniscient, you know, uh, the God of scripture, but you go to a third world country where they don't have the resources we have. They're under heavy persecution. And it seems like to me, right, in places like Iran, North Korea, probably parts of Pakistan and places where it used to be behind the iron, the iron uh, curtain, yeah. where God was moving in a way that they were seeing things and they were seeing God move in such a way that here in the West, we wouldn't, we weren't seeing. And I think we're at a point right now here in the West where um, we don't really see God still working. Don't get me wrong, but um, it, it's a very different kind of working. If you know what I'm saying, God allowed 2020 to happen. Um, I do believe that we're headed straight for judgment. Uh, I, our country, unfortunately, has really gone far left in, in multiple areas, and we're not going to list those here. I'm sure a lot of people would know. But as we're looking at and we're surveying the landscape of all of this, because we are talking about apostasy, yeah. we have rampant immorality in our country. We have the abortion issue. I, um, I live in California, and I, I think I said this with uh, Pastor Tom Hughes, that they're trying to embed abortion in the California Constitution, SCA 10. And so oh. uh, they are, and it's not just California, Tennessee is another one, and a handful of other states are following suit. But there are those that think, oh man, California, they're under judgment, but I'm here in Texas, or I'm here in Idaho, and I'm here in these other states. And when the Lord really doesn't look at states. He looks at the nation as a whole, right? Because we right. see the, the example in, in the Old Testament. Talk a little bit about um, the, the way that the Lord views judgment when it comes to an individual versus a nation. And I know this really isn't, right, maybe exactly pertinent, but I want to address that because I think there's a lot of people that think I'm safe where I'm at. Boy, I'm getting out of here. And I hear that a lot. And I can understand the sentiment, right? People wanting yeah. to go to a place that's more conservative. I get that. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, God doesn't view it that way, right? So, so that that's so. How does he? How does the Lord view maybe individual versus national judgment, as as in the Old Testament, or you know maybe as we move into the New Testament? Yeah. Well, there's really, it's going to be slightly different between the Old Testament and the sure, tribulation sure. period versus the church age. Um, when the Lord owns a physical piece of real estate, he's got an earthly economy, like in the Old Testament, or like we'll see again in the tribulation. Mm -hmm. He operates on principles that are a little bit different than he does in the church age. Okay. Um, he can bring very devastating judgment against particular nations for very particular reasons, and he will, and he does. And we see that in some of the prophecies of the scriptures for the last days. When we come into the New Testament era, the Lord's operating very much on the um, level of, um, I, hold on, I'm trying to hang up a phone here. No, go for it. Go for it. By all means, please do. That's what I love. Hey, folks, you guys already know, for those that, are, that watch these, this is why I love this format. This is a strictly pure 
conversation the way you would have with somebody over a cup of yep. coffee. Very relaxed. So, okay, cool. Um, so back so, to what you were saying. Yes. What we have is the Lord is dealing with people in the church age very largely on an individual basis. He's not so much dealing with nations. Um, now, I think I, I wouldn't say that he doesn't deal with nations at all. Right. But, but you could have situations where, um, well, let me put it this way. If if the Lord is determined to deal with you as an individual, yeah, he's got a certain thing he wants to do in your life because he feels that you got your doctrinal ducks lined up pretty good, but you got some heart issues he wants you to deal with. Right. And, and you're all busy wrapped up and you say, I'm going to move out of California because we got a lot of stuff happening here. And I'm going to move to Idaho and, and move out in the woods and get 40 acres in the middle of nowhere. Right. If God's got a plan to deal with you and fix your issues, you're not going to solve that. That's right. By moving to Idaho. Yeah. And and God is perfectly capable of preserving believers that are in California, sure. that are in New York City, yeah. that are in Chicago. Amen. So, and I do want to say this, and then we'll get right back to this. And I know we're kind of running short on time and I want to respect your time. But this is what happens when you have great conversations, right? Yeah. Um, so I've always, and I still hold dear to, and maybe this is an emotional thing, but I, I look through scripture too. Um, so if you look at the landscape of our country, yeah. and it has gone, it has gone apostate, period. Okay. It's gone wayward. It's gone left. It's, it's really immoral. Very last days. However, however, I don't think, and again, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I feel, I don't, I don't think that God's uh, judgment is going to rain down fire and brimstone yet on this nation. Why? We have, we've, first of all, as far as I know, we're the only nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. I'm not talking about Israel, okay? Yep, I'm, yep. I'm talking about Gentile nations. So only one founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And secondly, for, for decades and decades, we have been a country that has been a light to the world. And what I mean by that is churches of all denominations have sent out missionaries into all the world to preach yes. the gospel of the word of God. And so I, I know God is gracious and he's merciful and he's compassionate. And because I also believe there are, there are hundreds of thousands of Bible-believing, God-fearing folks all throughout this country, whether it's Hawaii to California, Alaska to New York, yep. they're all over. And God has his, his hand over us. I believe it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And one of the things I like to look at is God removed Lot, right? And we both right. know, we all know that Lot wasn't your picture perfect man of righteousness, yet the Lord, yet the Bible says that he calls Lot just righteous Lot, right? When he's talking yep. about, I believe it's in the book of Hebrews, um, when he calls him just righteous Lot. Yep. And if and the Peter. and yeah, thank you. So if the Lord calls him just righteous Lot, we know he wasn't because he was in a sinful, sinful city. Yeah. Um, it brings comfort to me. It should bring comfort to everybody else to know that God is so gracious. And I really believe that the linchpin for the uh, fire and brimstone, all hell to break loose is going to be the rapture of the church. That is my Absolutely. opinion. I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. So if you're living in a state like California, like New York, Hawaii is liberal too, and there's a handful of other ones too, um, be at peace, right? Shalom. Yeah. God is the, 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 the God of peace, right? Shalom. Um, Jehovah Shalom. And just, just take peace where you're at and that God would you pray that God would use you where you're at for his glory, because God's coming back very, very soon. So with that said, how about we, and I have so many other questions. Okay. Lee, would you be willing to come back on? Because, uh, there's so much to talk about. I'd love to have you on as a regular guest. I don't know. You're, you're yeah, scheduled. no, absolutely. We, okay. we barely scratched the surface on apostasia. We, we haven't did. even finished the first argument. No, we didn't. And so I don't want to rush it. And yep, so yep. We, we barely kind of, we barely covered, okay, the distinction between the verb, we barely covered uh, noun and verb. We covered yep. the, uh, 
the seven translations of scripture, you clarified it's more like five yeah. uh, where the it's used. Um, and then we did talk about departure. It could mean departing from the faith because we use that as well. Yeah. And uh, we talked about the, um, the definitive article, right? Yes. So again, we just barely scratched the surface. What I would encourage everybody to do, because I want to have Lee back on. So let's call this part one. All right, Lee. So yeah. apostasy part one. And so you can kind of see now, Lee, how I rabbit trail and I just kind of go, yeah. we have these really great discussions because the way I imagine these is we have a, a, a massive audience sitting behind you, sitting behind me. The way I picture it is just big round amphitheater. We have a little stage, you and I sitting down yeah. and lots of questions. A lot of people thinking these questions. What I'm going to ask people to do is once they watch this is email me questions you may have for Lee in regards to this specific subject. If there's questions you have, I'm going to bring them up in part two. So when Lee and I oh, do good. part two, um, and if you want to email Lee, please email Lee. Lee, you hang on to those questions as well, and we'll yep. get together. We'll answer those as we progress through this subject of the apostasia. How and we'll have to try and troubleshoot my upstairs camera. <laughs> you know what? Well, when we get to it, we will. The, the next time probably will be in your amazing studio. I do have a question. Are those books, how old are those books you have back there? They're like about this tall. They're huge. Yeah, that's Galandi's Fathers. That's from, they were printed in the 1680s. Wow. There was only 300 copies of that set ever made. It's a collection of all the father's writings, the loose ones that aren't published in separate editions, like Augustine has a separate edition okay. to Rome. So it's a collection of loose fathers from the apostolic fathers all the way up to, to Bernard de Clairvaux era. Wow, that must have and been a pretty penny. It, yeah, well, what's interesting, I prayed for a set, and I had I'd written to different men of God and yeah. asked them if they knew where I could get a set. Nobody knew where I could get a set. Um, they didn't even uh, know where there were any were. They'd never seen a set themselves. I prayed the Lord would provide a set for me. And when we lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I walked into Kriegel's bookstore one time, they had a big used bookstore in the basement, mm -hmm. and he had a set of Galandi. He'd bought out the library from a convent. Wow. He sold that set to me for a thousand bucks. Wow. It is amazing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to link to your YouTube channel. Actually speaking now, um, I'm actually going to go to your YouTube channel right now. Uh, let's see. You have an Instagram link there, but I'm going to go to your YouTube channel so that folks can actually see uh, what it is and where to go subscribe to his channel. He puts out, Lee puts out amazing material and it's under the same name, right? Soothkeep. Soothkeep. Yep. Okay. And by the way, Soothkeep is old English for truth fortress. So truth fortress. Let me show everybody. If you guys go to YouTube and type in right up there in the search, the search bar, Soothkeep, that's all you have to type in. You're going to see his logo right here. And all of these videos, I'm telling you folks, it is chock full of stuff. And um, to see the, the collection of, of books, you're going to have to watch the videos and see what I'm talking about. They're amazing. And I've always wanted to ask you what those were. Wow. And uh, okay. So Lee. I get a lot of questions about the Nephilim skull too. You know what? I'm going to tell you uh, the Nephilim is something I would love to talk about too. Love to talk about because that is a subject that I find fascinating and uh, that's another one that we're going to throw a big rock into the pond and just big ripples come out of there too. So uh, Lee, if you're okay and willing to come back, I would be, I would love to have you back on and to cover more of this and just future shows. That would be great. Absolutely. Um, okay. Lee, we talked uh, a lot about some pretty heavy subjects, the times we're living in, and I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there that um, they want that hope that you have the hope that I have. They yes. want that relationship that you got back in 1981 yes. and they want to meet Jesus. They want that Jesus that we have. Lee, can you share that hope with everybody listening and watching? Yeah, absolutely. We live in an age when your, your average American, your average human being, they're facing trials and tribulations of, of a thousand kinds, not just the financial burdens, uh, not just the COVID burdens and, and not just heavy-handed government burdens, but we're facing struggles in personal relationships. We're facing struggles in feeling 
uh, any kind of value in our own life. We, you know, people feel worthless. They look at themselves. They feel wicked and sinful. And well, these are all true, really. We are wicked and sinful. And we're really not worth much until we find the Savior. But the thing that I like to point out to people is that when uh, that God sent his own son. Think about this. The eternal son of God, who'd spent eternity in the glorious beauties of heaven with the perfect father, took on a human body, came down here to live in this filthy, evil world, this pain-filled, sin-filled world, this world filled with physical pain and emotional pain and psychological pain. He came down here as a human being in a human body, lived a perfect life, and then he died for the sake of the whole planet. This is the greatest display of love, not just in the history of the world, in the history of the universe. And if we want to find meaning in life, the meaning is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He offers not just um, something to believe in. He offers eternal life. He offers eternal hope. People go through this life without hope. They've been broken up so many times, they don't know if they can walk another step. They don't know if they can make it through another step. They don't know if they dare trust another human being again. But I want you to know that you can trust the Lord. Amen. Amen. You can trust the Lord. Amen. He is the friend that sticks closer than the brother. He is the one who cared for you so much that in the spite of all your sin and all of your rebellion and going your own way, he died for you. And he's holding out his hand. He wants to have a restored relationship with you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to grant you eternal life. He wants to have fellowship with you for eternity. He wants you to be worshiping him for all of eternity. And all you have to do is turn to him. Tell him you're sorry. Yes. And and decide that you're going to believe in him Amen. for all of eternity. Can you and lead us in a prayer? He will save you in a moment. Amen. Lee, um, lead us in a prayer because I guarantee you, you, you really, the, the Holy Spirit used you and is using you to touch the lives of people because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are folks that are hurting. I know it. Amen. And each one of us has our own struggles. Um, but the Lord mends our hearts. So Lee, why don't you lead us in a prayer for those that Amen. want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life? Go ahead. Lord, we, we look to you. In ourselves, we're nothing. All of our efforts seem to come to nothing. We're broken. We're hurt. We're discouraged. We're frustrated. We feel like we have no hope. But Lord, we're looking to you. We know that you are the hope. We know that you are eternal salvation. We know that you are life. We know that you are meaning. We know that you are purpose. And Lord, we just pray that if there's anybody out there that's broken and hurting, that's looking for meaning and purpose, that they will turn to you and look to you and that they will call upon you. Lord, I pray that you administer their heart. I pray that you'd reach out through your Holy Spirit and touch them and that you would quicken the words that have been spoken and that you would quicken to people that they can trust the gospel, that they can trust the word of God and that they would look to you and find that joy that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away and find that peace that the world cannot give and cannot take away. Find that forgiveness that the world cannot give and cannot take away. Find meaning and purpose that the world cannot give and cannot take away. Lord, we pray they find you and that their darkness will be turned to light, that their sorrow will be turned to joy, that their ashes will be turned to beauty. For Lord, you are our all in all. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lee. Again, ho uh, folks, if, if you guys prayed along with Lee, uh, let us know about it. Either you can contact Lee. It's on his website. You can let me know. And uh, it's the best decision you will ever make Amen. in your entire life. Times are short. The night is nearly over. Morning's on its way. 
And uh, it's, it's time for us to really buckle down and get about the Lord's business. We've got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I think one thing that I did not mention was I have these cards and I've been saying this just about for the last maybe three, four podcasts. I have these little cards are like business cards, but they have the gospel on it. It's short. And I'll send these to anybody for free. I'll send Amen. a stack. All you have to do is you literally just put them on a table when you go to have a cup of coffee or put them in the tip jar or when you go to a restaurant, leave them or you're getting your oil change in your car. Just hand this, leave it on the, the counter. These are ways that we can share the gospel. Maybe the majority of people might throw these away, but there might be a handful of people that will pick these up and the Holy Spirit will change their lives forever. Amen. So um, if you want those contact me and I will send those to you for free. Okay. So folks, um, again, uh, let me, let me go back up here. I want to encourage everybody go to Lee's YouTube channel, subscribe. You're going to get amazing content. Also two things. Again, I like to remind for those faithful folks that made it all the way to the end of the video, uh, the serpents and doves website, I already said it. If you feel led to donate, you can do that there two ways via the donate button or shop. And then Please, soothkeep.info. I'm going to link to it below as well. And there is Lee's website. Again, chock full of amazing resources. Everybody that I've had the privilege of having these amazing conversations with have great content. So we talked about that, Lee, the importance of having those that do research, but that are rock solid. Lee, you're one of them. And I can't thank you enough for your ministry. Um, we're going to cover a whole lot more, right, Lee? You bet. Absolutely. All right, cool. I hope everybody was blessed. I hope you were encouraged and challenged because I know I am to get back into this, to really study this, to know this and make sure you get into the word of God and get the word of God into you. So, uh, Lee, thanks again. And, uh, hope to see you next time soon. Hopefully God bless everybody. And remember guys, keep looking up. Our redemption is very near. See ya. Amen.